0: John 6, 11 to 15, 25 to 42. So let's give our careful attention to reading of God's word. These words are given by God through time, through prophets, in love for you. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their full fill, He told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, To make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jumping down to verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread from God, bread of God, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise Praise be to Christ. Friends, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us, that in this word we have this promise that we here's Jesus, and if we come to him, we will never, never hunger or thirst. So Father, be with us now as we consider these words about who your son, Jesus Christ, is. In Christ's name I pray, amen. What is the first thing that you think of when you hear the name Jesus. What is the first thought that comes to your mind when you hear Jesus' name? Is it Savior, Lord, love, friends, brother, creator, God, judge, so on? There are a lot of names and descriptions. That are given to Jesus. And often the first thought, the first conception that we have about Jesus is actually the primary way that we relate to him. And this is likely a problem. At least it was for the disciples. At least it was for the Jews here in John 6. Because here are people that are coming to Jesus. They think they know who he is. They profess he is a prophet. And Jesus, thinking that they are, perceives that they are about to take him by force and make him a king, he withdraws. The point is, here are people who are coming to Jesus thinking and assuming that they know who Jesus is, and they completely miss who Jesus is. See, we can come to Jesus with our assumptions of who he is. We can come to Jesus with our expectations about who he is. And just because we come to Jesus does not mean we actually know who Jesus is. Just because you come to Jesus does not mean you have faith. That is the the challenge of this passage I want us to consider this morning. And it's hard for us to actually come to Jesus and to ask him, who are you? It's hard for us to come to Jesus that way because in order for us to learn about Jesus, in order for us to get him right, so to speak, we actually have to relearn who he is. And this is a constant change. This is a constant thing, actually, for us as even mature Christians. We always need to come back to Scripture and ask, who is Jesus? So that's the big idea I want us to ask this morning of, who is Jesus And we want to first start with some misconceptions, some partial answers. So, for those of you who like outlines, big question who is Jesus? First point, some wrong answers. And put wrong in parentheses. And so, our story here begins with a miracle. And specifically, this is the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And this is, in addition to the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is the one miracle that all the gospel writers, that all the biographies of Jesus, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the one miracle that all those gospel accounts capture and review for us. And, he, and so what that means is, is that it's very important, but we also have several different perspectives that help us understand more about this one miracle and what God is teaching us through this miracle. And John, very specifically, is focusing on the theme of our heart's motivation. As he reviews this miracle, as he captures it, John is focused on what is the motivation of your heart when you come to Jesus Christ. And so when we first see Jesus calling the disciples to himself, he is attracting a very large crowd. If you recall, a few weeks ago, we looked at the story of Nicodemus, that Nicodemus is one member of that large crowd that is following Jesus, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them. That's the end of John 2 and beginning of John 3. And that we see Jesus, uh, excuse me, Nicodemus saying to Jesus that we know that you are a teacher from God because no one can do the things that you do and so this passage picks up that same idea and even keeps going with it even further because this crowd of 5,000 people believes the same thing about Jesus that Jesus is from God for he is doing mighty works and so here's like the first quote-unquote, wrong answer. It's, It's a partial answer that doesn't get the full thing. That some believe that he is a prophet. Look at verse 14. This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And so here these Jews are actually standing on very solid ground because there is a promise, a prophecy about Jesus being a prophet, and here's Deuteronomy, this old, very Old Testament book, by the way. Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and 18. The Lord your God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him whom you shall listen, and I will put my words into his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I have commanded them. So here's this prophecy that one day God will raise up a prophet from among his people to speak his word to them. And that is Jesus. So that's where these Jewish people are coming from. That they're connecting Jesus to Deuteronomy 18. But this is actually not the first time that we have seen this language of prophet being used to describe Jesus. Just two chapters earlier, Jesus is meeting with this Samaritan woman at the well, and she says to him, "'Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet.'" And so at this point, at first glance, I just want to point this out, that at first glance, everything seems to be right. Yes, Jesus is a prophet. Jesus affirmed what the Samaritan woman said. Yes, he is a prophet. That Jesus is doing these signs. He is demonstrating his kingdom, God's kingdom. He is showing others what his rule will look like. People will come to him that that he is the prophet from God. That it's, so in the first glance, everything seems to be in order. But here's a problem, and there's, this is from Samuel, that God says to Samuel, and this is like one of those passages when, specifically about King David, that King David, before he was anointed and ordained as the king of Israel, all his brothers came before him, and Samuel's thinking, surely it's the oldest son of Jesse, surely it's the second oldest Nope, not it. Because God says this: that we as human beings look on the outside appearance, but God looks at the heart, and that's what's that is important to know. That these people are coming to Jesus thinking He is only a prophet, and they are projecting their expectations, their assumptions about what a prophet, who a prophet is, and what the prophet of God should do. They're projecting all of that onto Jesus. So that's like the first wrong answer. It's actually a right answer, but it's only one part of the, where we're going. Here's the second thing we see, and this is right in verse 15. Jesus, perceiving them that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Right now, this should actually catch you off guard. You should be thinking, wait, what? What's going on here? Jesus came. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. That language of Messiah is the Hebrew word for anointed king, God's chosen anointed king. Christ is just the Greek translation of that. So Jesus is, is the anointed king who would come and bring God's kingdom into this world. That when he announced The good news, he says, the good news is here that the kingdom of God is here. Jesus is is God's king. However, what these people are doing, again, they're projecting their assumptions, their expectations upon God. They're saying that if Jesus is king, he's going to be the king that I expect him to be. And so while they say with their lips that he is the king, they do not know what that really means. So, for example, and this is in that Jewish context, that one of those populist messianic expectations is that the Messiah would come and defeat Israel's enemies. That they would specifically drive the Roman Empire back to Rome. They would drive out and overthrow their, the, the Roman occupation from their territory and that the Messiah would restore the physical kingdom that David created. And that populist... Messianic movement is what we see in the zealot mentality um, throughout the Gospels, and like so, Simon the Zealot—that was one of the, the movements that he was. That was the movement he was caught up in. But if you fast forward 40 years after Jesus' death, it's that zealot mentality that actually led to the destruction of Jerusalem. The Romans destroyed Jerusalem when the zealots sought to overthrow Rome. But where this goes is that people are projecting their assumptions, their expectations upon Jesus. And in the words of Leslie Newton, this is what he says, This is not faith. This is unbelief. They have not understood who Jesus is. Jesus will not be the instrument of any human enthusiasm or the symbol for any human program. To say Jesus is king, if the word king is wholly defined by the person of Jesus, it is false and blasphemous if Jesus is made instrumental to a definition of kingship derived from elsewhere. Jesus has come to proclaim liberty to the captives, but he will not become the mascot for a people's movement of liberation. So here's the question that really new getting at that with these people. That these people, yes, are coming and saying that Jesus is king, but what they're really saying is that Jesus is our mascot. That is their assumption. That is their expectation. That is what they are coming to Jesus with. And so Jesus, like with the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus demonstrates that he is not the prophet that you would expect, But further, he even demonstrates that he is not the king or the ruler of this world that we expect either. For example, that when Jesus is tempted, this is Matthew 4 and Luke 4, the devil tempts him and says, hey, if you worship me, I will give you all the territories and the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus rejects that. Later on, um, when Jesus is arrested, his disciple Peter pulled out a sword and chopped off a guy's ear in defense of Jesus. And Jesus tells Peter, put away the sword. And then later on, when Jesus is on trial for his life before the Pilate, Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replies to him. And this is in John 17. And and Jesus says that if my kingdom were of this world, my disciples would be fighting you with swords. The thing is, Jesus is not the that we expect Jesus' kingship his reign his exaltation his royalty his crown is different from everything of this world and so when jesus learns that these people are coming to him yes they're seeking to crown him but all he is to them is a mascot jesus withdraws even if they came to him like with full hearts of faith that hey we want you to be our king jesus would still withdraw because he would say his hour has not yet come but what, when he withdraws, something happens quite drastically. The excitement, the enthusiasm for him has no fulfillment or satisfaction. Imagine this. To really like completely take this in a different way, but to help you understand the energy the, the, of this moment, let's say you go to Beaver Stadium. FYI, that, that's, I think this is Penn State. Please laugh there. But, so like, you go to Penn State. You go there for a football game. Tickets are sold out. Everyone is going to be there. People have tailgated, and, and you know this is how it happens. People hop in RVs and caravans, and they drive up for a whole weekend to be there. That's what's been going on. And you hear the chants. We are Penn State. You hear it. We are. We are. You hear that enthusiasm. But then all of a sudden, when the football team is about to run out onto the field, there's no football team. There's no football team. You hear that energy, you hear that enthusiasm, and you just hear the air of a balloon go out. It's completely deflated. That is exactly why Jesus withdrew at this moment. Because if we don't come to him with faith, but if we come to him with unbelief, he withdraws because he wants something from us. He wants something from us. He he, as he disappears, he is showing us that he wants something from us. But before we get to that question, let's we come back to this question: who is Jesus? And like I said very early on, that there, there are a lot of beautiful images and names that Jesus claims for himself throughout Scripture. Consider a few of them. That Jesus calls us friend. Can we just say that's beautiful? Jesus calls us friend. That is John 15, 15 that he says that no longer do I treat you as, I believe, servants by call you my friends. And so here's the reality, though. If that is the only way that you relate to God, if that's the only way that you relate to Jesus, what else do you miss out on? If Jesus is only your friend, what else do you miss out on? Or secondly, Jesus, that is a Greek form of, of the name Yeshua, which means salvation. And that is, again, amazing that Jesus saves us from our sins. He offers us forgiveness. But here's the question. If that's the only way you relate to Jesus Christ, can you actually experience the life transformation that he offers you? Can you actually grow and change if he is not your Lord, as Sabrina offered earlier? And so also perhaps that, and this is one thing that I find often, very often as a pastor, where that's many people have this conception that Jesus is judge. That's true. That his second coming, he'll come to judge the quick and the dead is how the Apostles' Creed puts it. But how many of you come to Jesus... Thinking primarily of him as your judge, where you expect condemnation and punishment instead of love and forgiveness. See, here's the problem, that when we only focus on or and relate to Jesus with through one lens like that, or one perspective, we actually miss out on who Jesus is. And we have to relearn who Jesus is. Perhaps the person who, and the, the account where we see this most clearly, is the Apostle Peter. Peter was asked quite deliberately by Jesus, Jesus says to him, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. See this beautiful apostolic confession. And then later on, just a few verses later, Jesus says that I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die on the cross. And what's Peter do? He says, no, 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 no you're not going to do that. We're going to protect you. We're going to fight for you. And then Jesus says this. These are the harshest words he's ever said. Get behind me, Satan. See, Jesus is demonstrating to Peter that Jesus is is the suffering king. He is not one who's going to really be the king that we expect him to be and will just be triumphant like that or succeed like that. But he is exalted. His success is actually through suffering. So again, who is Jesus? That's the question that we must come back to. This is a person we must constantly come back to and relearn. Because as we look at Jesus here, we see that Jesus wants something very particular from us. And this is verses 25 This is where it's really crystallized for us. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will gift to you. For on him, the God, the Father, has set his seal. And so in the, in the story of our text, this is the 24 hours later. That when Jesus performed his miracle, he withdrew, he went to the other side of the mountain. We skipped several verses Jesus walked on water, and and since we have uh, saw that miracle, but Jesus is on the other side of the mountain. It's it's the the other side of the lake. He is, it's the next day. And somehow the crowd made their way around the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd is frustrated with Jesus. The energy, the enthusiasm for their own messianic movement has evaporated, that Jesus is actually no longer the prophet or the king. How do they address him? Rabbi, here we see something that when, when our disappointments with Jesus don't meet our own expectations, we get frustrated with him. That, that is, one of the, this is one of the reasons why we need to come to know Jesus for who he truly is and put, lay our expectations to the side. And so Jesus points out that they are seeking him, not because they saw the signs or the miracles that he was doing, but because they ate their fill of the bread that he offered them. He filled their bellies. The miracle, just to recap, Jesus, the miracle that Jesus did is that he took five barley loaves and two fish and multiplied it to fill so many people, so many people's bellies that there were, and even then some, because there was there were leftovers that filled twelve baskets. And then we find those twelve baskets from Matthew 14 in Matthew's account. And so they but they now they went more. And we see this clearly. Um, In verse uh, 32, they're asking Jesus, What works will you perform? Moses gave our father's manna from heaven, but then Jesus says this to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they say to Jesus, Give us this bread always. See, whenever, and this is one of the things that you're hearing over and over again as we go through the Gospel of John, that when Jesus does these signs, when he does these miracles, they are meant to show, they're demonstrating something about the kingdom of God, that they are a picture into what Jesus' reign is like. And so they are meant, this miracle is revealing something about Jesus, that the the bread that filled their bellies is meant to point to something else. That bread that filled their bellies is meant to point to Him because He claims this title for Himself, that I am the bread of life. And that's John 6.35. And so as you're asking yourself the question here, John 6.35, here are people who are coming to Jesus looking for signs, looking for more food, looking for their bellies to be sat, to be very full from, from His miracles. But what Jesus, Jesus doesn't just want us to come to him. Jesus wants our faith. He wants our faith. And so faith, if you want a definition, you find this definition in Hebrews 11. For faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. But oftentimes, as Christians, we emphasize the wrong words in that verse. And I find this all the time as a pastor that we emphasize the word sure and certain. That with the uh, this idea of faith, we we think that we have to be absolutely certain. And the reality is that many of the disciples doubted. You see Thomas doubting, and Jesus comes to him on in thomas's terms we see john the baptist even doubting that when john the baptist sent his disciples to jesus to investigate and confirm that jesus is really the messiah and you see that even after Jesus' crucifixion after his resurrection moments before his ascension that there are disciples who are gathered and this is matthew 28 that some believed and some doubted See, the reality is doubt is a, a, is, a, is, a, a, is a normal thing for us as Christians, and doubt does not negate faith in any way, shape, or form because the size or the strength of our faith does not matter. It's the what matters is the one whom we put our faith in, and what matters is the one we put the object. It's the one who, what matters is the object of our faith, and so consider this example here. Consider this miracle where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Jesus does something, and we didn't read all this, but it's when Jesus, in the first 10 verses of John 6, he asks his disciples, how in the world are we going to feed these people? Jesus is doing something with that question. He is actually nurturing their faith. And so some replied that, Lord, not even 200 denarii would buy enough food for these people. And so, but that's what Philip points out, that it would be an enormous sum of money to feed these people. But then Andrew, Andrew, however, speaks up. He says this, Jesus, all that we have is five loaves and two fish. The reality is, what we see from the miracle that's enough that we that's a miracle that's enough that faith is enough jesus is asking this question to draw out faith and so all they need all that jesus needs to perform well not Jesus can perform any miracle. But we see in this, this passage that Jesus is trying to nurture the faith in his disciples' life. That Jesus asks the question to draw and nurture faith. And all the need that he requires as one hymn that we frequently sing is for us to feel a need of him. That is all the faith that Jesus expects from anyone. If you have the faith, as he puts in Matthew, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you will see mountains move. So one writer puts it this way. The gospel equation of faith is this. It's 5 plus 2 plus X equals 5,000 plus. That is the gospel equation. And Jesus is the variable in our lives. See, often, I'd like to wrap this up, that often we come to Jesus with our assumptions and expectations and our goals. We say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but I want this blank from you. We want his forgiveness, so we follow him. We want his affirmation, so we follow him. We want, we want his acceptance, his healing, his provision, his power. We want these things from God, and so we follow him. And while there is a place for All those things I just mentioned, those are all the benefits of the gospel, so to speak. But if we only come to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, we miss out entirely who Jesus is. Because Jesus is fully God, fully man. He has come to us to forgive us, but he is the one for whom our souls long. He is the one who created us. He is the one who redeems us. He is the one who sustains us in our lives. But we must, at the end of the day, or even the beginning of the day, we must always come to Jesus and, and first give Jesus what He wants from us. and He wants our faith. He wants our trust. He wants you to put your trust in Him because He has come to love you and to know you and to give you life with God. That's what Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. Um, that's what He offers you. But the question that we come back to, at the the very beginning, is that who is Jesus Christ? All of us together need to relearn, relearn who Jesus is so that we can follow him all the days of our life. Let's pray.